This sermon was recorded at Highway Palo Alto in Palo Alto, California. If you'd like to find out more about Highway Community, you can head to www.highway.org. Welcome. Welcome to Highway this morning. We're continuing our series called Jubilee Life, based upon this biblical celebration of Jubilee that we see in the Old Testament scriptures and then fulfilled in Christ's work on our behalf. Uh, we're looking at these riches that are found in Christ and how we might live them out in each day of our lives. Sabbath, redemption, freedom, forgiveness, restoration, and justice. A Jubilee life experiences Christ's riches and then shares them with, with others. They pour through us. Now, this morning we're looking at living forgiveness and um, which from the Billy Madison clip might just save some lives here this morning. And you know, the idea of having a people to kill list <laughs> that's there in your living room is interesting. Um, but you know, one of the things that we often live with is may not be a people to kill, but a dead to me list. And a dead to me list is people that we are separated from emotionally in some way. Something has happened, there's been some disruption of the relationship or it could go all the way back to a uh, relationship with parents, or today it may, go, it may be in relationship with kids. But there are some people who have hurt us, and now we've decided that they are, they're dead to us. We put them in a place in our lives where they, can't quite get to, where they can't get to us again. And so unforgiveness, really, at the heart of it, it's a violent act. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a destructive thing, uh, not only to relationships, but it, but it actually eats away at us. And there have been times when I have been deeply upset with someone and at some point come to realize that they had no idea that I was upset with them, that I was holding this against them while I ground on these things and thought these things. I was the one who was paying the penalty. And then there's lots of people in your life who, you know, who maybe you are very, very upset with and they're just sort of blithely going along their way. They don't know that what's going on with in, in terms of their relationship with you. And so the relationships that we have in the Lord Jesus and what he calls us to, uh, they're the most significant things in our lives. And so restoration is the key and we don't have restoration unless there is forgiveness. Uh, the Bible says a lot about it. And in Ephesians chapter four, verse 32, it says, be kind and compassionate to one another. So this is the way that we should behave. Forgiving each other, it's an active idea just as Christ forgave you, and so there's the bar that is set. And so if you have been redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ, you are the beloved. Uh, the, the love of God through the Lord Jesus Christ has showered over you. Ha you are immersed in that love. You are the beloved, and it is out of that love that we channel the same love uh, in terms of forgiving other people. We live out forgiveness. Now, Jubilee, um, one of the other terms that was used to describe Jubilee is that it was the great day of forgiveness. That's what it was known as. Um, the Jews uh, on this day were to make freedom everybody's experience, and they did it through forgiveness. They forgave debts and their consequences. Debt slavery was very common in the cultural milieu of that time, but the Jews were challenged to live countercultural lives by using their freedom to extend this forgiveness. And this wasn't easy. And it wasn't without personal cost. When they forgave a debt, it cost them the fair repayment. Uh, when they pardoned a slave, their labor costs went up. When they returned a piece of property on an ancestral claim, they lost a portion of their net worth. 
And so Jubilee reveals God's nature and the value he places on forgiveness, whatever the cost. Forgiveness is worth it. And in fact, when we look at the entire arc of Scripture, we see that it's a long story of God setting people free through forgiveness. The representatives of mankind in the garden, Adam and Eve, they walked away from God. God forgave them and welcomed them back into relationship. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob lived incredibly dysfunctional lives. And if you're going through the Bible reading, the one-year Bible reading, you've gotten through Genesis now, and you may have uh, considered how truly dysfunctional those families were. I mean, Genesis is also, it's the genesis of family dysfunction, actually. Um, but there's so much hope there where we see that God continued to work with them, he forgave them, and he worked through them. When Moses refused to go to Pharaoh, God said, okay, I forgive you, here's Aaron. God forgave Rahab, a prostitute, when King David committed adultery, and then he had his, her, his, uh, his lover's husband killed. God forgave him. Uh, and the Psalms are full of that process that David went through and finally described him as a man after God's own heart. And then the whole nation of Israel uh, was likened to a cheating bride. If you read through the prophet uh, Hosea and uh, promiscuous with false gods, but God forgave Israel and never stopped loving her. And so God is a forgiving God and living into his image requires living forgiveness. This is God's nature. Uh, this is God's heart. And this is what we live into uh, through our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this morning, we're going to look at this story, the prodigal son. Very familiar story. Probably going to look at it a little bit differently than maybe you've seen it in the past. It's in Luke chapter 15. And this reveals the father's heart. And so that's the father in the story. But then we're going to see ourselves in the other two characters in the story, the prodigal and the hard-hearted older brother. Um, and so a son cashes in his inheritance. He leaves home um, for exotic places. I mean, the idea is that he just turns his back on his clan, on everything that he's been raised to do and to believe, and he just goes off with this profligate lifestyle, spends through all the money, the hard-earned money uh, that his father had provided for him, to the point that he's destitute, and so now his only recourse is to go back home, and it's a walk of shame. The best he could hope for was a place as a hired hand, maybe, and maybe uh, eat a few scraps with the pigs. But anxious to restore the relationship with the son, the father watched every day. We see he's watching the horizon to see if he would return. That's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a beautiful image of the heart of God and the desire that he has for relationship. And then one day his hopes were realized. His son is home. He took him to himself in a warm embrace, and then he has this feast as the older brother is protesting. And what better reason to prepare a sumptuous feast and feed his son, the father says, uh, then this one who was lost is now found. Uh, and in fact, the parable of the prodigal son, uh, it provides insights into forgiveness. And this whole chapter is really about things that are lost that are being found. The lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. And it, and it underscores the worth of each of those in terms of the heart of the father. And so let's look at these characters and let's see if we can find ourselves here. First of all, the father. Now the father will show to us, reveal to us, that forgiveness is one way. Forgiveness is unconditional. It is one way. Uh, Luke 15, 20, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And so he'd already decided, he had already done the work in his heart 
in order to forgive his son. And so he's prepared for him to return and restore the relationship. And we must, we must know that the father was deeply wounded by what his son had done. His father, he, he abandoned the clan. He brought shame on the family name. He rejected his values. He squandered resources. And we would understand if the father just sort of held back. You know, it's like, hey, protect yourself. Don't just open yourself up to this. Let your son come to you. Um, and maybe your son will come with a couple of, well, dad, you were, you're right about, you're right about. I always like you were right abouts, right? Yeah, you're right about that. Um, or, or a very heartfelt apology, which did come, but that came after the father had already forgiven his son. His forgiveness was unconditional. It was a one-way deal. There was no deal that was struck with his son. Reconciliation required that he step over the wounded part of his heart so that he could once again embrace his son. And this is the challenge for us as well. When someone is, is, is very significant in our life and they wound us deeply, um, we tend to try to preserve ourselves and protect ourselves. And there's that wounded part of our heart that stops any kind of restoration or the process of forgiveness. But this is the heart of the father. This is the love of the father. Now forgiveness does not mean approving. It doesn't mean accepting. It doesn't mean forgetting what someone has done to us. All right, so we're not talking about some gauzy, silly, you know, just emotional response. I forgive you. I forgive you. I don't think that that's genuine forgiveness, depending upon uh, the, the nature of the situation. But forgiveness is not a, it's not a compromise, and it's not an avoidance of conflict. It's not just patching things over so that we can forget about this. It's actually releasing the other person. Forgiving means letting someone who you've been holding in your debt, it means that you let them go. Resentment and bitterness, bitterness, holding on to an obligation you feel that they have to do, this is what you're letting go. This is what it's costing you. Um, but forgiving does not mean forgetting either. I mean, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden these things never happened. Recently, I read an article about a couple in East Yorkshire, England, and they're in their 90s, and they had remarried each other after 57 years um, of getting divorced. They got divorced, and 57 years later, they got married. They got married in 1941. They had a daughter. They divorced in 1954. They married other people, and now later in their life, they're sort of back at the top of the order with each other. And uh, Elsie, the, the wife, was quoted as saying, it's much better this time. We laugh every day. A little bit of dementia might be helping that situation. <laughs> but it also helps that neither can recall why they divorced in the first place. And so it isn't really a case of forgive and forget. It was forget and forget for this couple. But that's not what we're talking about with forgiveness. And, and we see from scripture and uh, this, this beautiful passage in Isaiah where he talks about God taking our sins and he put, puts it between his shoulder blades is the word picture that is used there. That God takes our sin and he puts it between, he, gets, he puts it to a place where it's no longer in play. He gets it out of play in the relationship. But God can't forget anything. If God knows everything, then somehow he's not forgetting our sin or what happened. Um, but there's a choice that God is making to get it out of play in the relationship. And forgiveness isn't forgetting the transgression. It's placing it where it won't drag us down, where it won't continue to uh, impede uh, the relationship. 
where it won't continue to wound our spirit and interfere with restoration in the relationship. We're just, we're, we're placing it. We're going to talk about how we do this as Christians in just a moment. The memory is still there, but the sting is gone. Forgiving his son created a clear path to restoration. He didn't say, welcome back, son, um, and please don't do that again. Instead, he threw a feast. And a, a feast in that cultural context went on for days. Right? So, I mean, if you're really upset with somebody and don't really want to talk to them, don't throw a, a feast. Because these things went on for up to a week. And the honored guest is the dishonorable son. And the feast provided all this time to catch up for him to tell stories about where he'd been and, um, and something of what he had done. But it was, it was a context to reestablish the relationship, to truly welcome him back into the family. They didn't run this prodigal son through the back door and, and you know, put him in a second-class position in terms of the family. Instead, he became the honored guest. And it was for this reason, more than anything else, the father wanted a relationship with his son. And more than anything else, God the Father desires a relationship with us to the extent that he sent his son to deal with our sin and to make that possible. And so God's heart loves things that are lost, things that need a second chance for them to be found and to be given that chance. Luke 15, 32. But we had to celebrate and be glad. He's responding to his, his older brother, his older son, who is, you know, protesting this banquet. We had to celebrate and be glad. I mean, what else could we do? Because your brother was gone and now he's back. He was dead and now he's alive, he's lost, and he is found. I mean, in the Father's mind, the only thing that we can do is celebrate that. And so the Father shows us the heart of God. It shows us the unconditional nature of his forgiveness. And if his, if his, condition is, if his forgiveness was conditional, I don't think any of us would be forgiven. I mean, if we were truly forced to, to live into and live out the law and to keep it to a point that we don't need forgiveness and we can stay on the good side of God, well, then none of us are going to, none of us are going to make it through that process. It's got to be a one-way process. It's a decision that God made. Now let's look at the prodigal, right? And so the prodigal will teach us about the pruning process uh, that is involved in forgiveness. Forgiveness is a pruning pro and it reflects a pruning process. In Luke 15, 21, it says, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am, no I am no longer worthy to be your son. Now, that reveals a pruning process in the life of the prodigal. And we can assume that this was heartfelt, that he was really truly repentant, that he had been humbled by the situation, and he was on offering an honest apology um, to his father. So he'd been through a, a pruning process. But when we look at the prodigal son and we see the stuff that this person did, I mean, we typically don't put ourselves in that category. I mean, this guy was really bad. He went off to another country. He's running around with prostitutes. He's just like, he's just living a completely irresponsible life to the point that he just ran out of all of his money. He didn't know what else to do. I mean, that's not us. However, <laughs> The prodigal son is all of us. He is all of us. All of us have squandered resources. All of us have walked away from God. All of us are in constant need of forgiveness, but not all of us ask for it. Not all of us ask for it. If we fail to see ourselves in the prodigal, 
If we don't really see ourselves in that person, then we're not confessing our sin. We're not going through that process in our, in our personal relationship with, with the Lord. I mean, think for a moment. When was the last time that you took an inventory of your life and you allowed the Holy Spirit to just take a tour of your heart and look at that attitude and that thought, um, to look at, 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 at this strongly held resentment toward a person or the desire for this person to just basically you know, evaporate off the place of the earth, or just the different opportunities that we have that we don't take in our life. I mean, we need a regular time with the Spirit to go into our heart, and whenever I do that, I, there is incredibly ugly stuff in there. And I, I mean, I, it, it shames me to think about some of the things that are pointed out in that process. And remember, we're dealing with a holy God, but all of us are prodigals. All of us, all of us really are a mess. Right now, we may have our families pennied together and our careers and whatever else, but we're talking about what goes on in our heart. And when, we, when we're talking about Jubilee, we're talking about these resources, these riches found in Christ that pour through us. And all of us fall short of that. All of us need to reflect on ways that that can happen, um, that, that, can, that, that can happen in a, in a more direct way in the lives of people around us. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 8 and following, it says, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you've taken off your old self and its practices, and you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. And so Paul is writing to these Christians in Colossae, and he's talking about all these things that still remain in their lives, even, if, even after they've come into an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, they, are, they are allowing those old self and old life kinds of things to continue in their life. But then in Colossians 3, uh, it, it continues, and Paul describes dead things here that are blocking forgiveness, the soiled clothing, but then he gets into the clothing that we should put on. And many commentators believe that this passage is, is, a, is, is reflecting on baptisms in the first century. And during, in, in, in that time, in Jerusalem, if a person came to faith in Christ, they just found the closest pool to dunk them in. And, and oftentimes, they would have a, a clean garment, uh, like a white robe, that they would wrap the person in after they had been baptized. And so it was symbolic of the fact that they had taken off these soiled clothes, and now they had put on these new clothes in Christ. In verse 12, it says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. This is a new wardrobe for a person who has come into relationship with God through Christ. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And so a part of that new wardrobe is this process of forgiveness and dealing with unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is a part of the old life. Uh, it's a part of the old self that has been washed away by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if we are not in that constant cleansing process, if we are not allowing the Spirit to walk us through our life and, and identify those things that need to change, well then we'll just, you know, we're gonna start getting spots on our clothes again. Our life is gonna reflect what was before instead of what should come after. And all of this underscores the real reason that we live in unforgiveness. 
we're not capable of forgiving while we're living out our old identity. And you know, we are great, people are, we are great in terms of, of hiding that. Like we can, for all the world, project a certain kind of an image and maybe we know how to keep our mouth shut and not say what we're really thinking or feeling at the moment so people don't really know. But unforgiveness continues because we don't actually embrace this new identity. I, I don't even think sometimes we believe it's possible. Uh, can we really forgive someone who has wounded us? Can we forgive this abusive parent who, who ruined our childhood? Uh, can we forgive the son or daughter who has gone off and they're living a very different kind of life than what we raised them to, to live? I mean, can we forgive this person who has just said so many terrible things about us behind our backs and disparaged us and dragged us down? They are dead to me, but that's the old self. The new self seeks restoration. And it begins with really looking at what is in there and humbling ourselves. And so we're talking about reality, right? When we look at the father's role in the story, it's grace. When we look at the prodigal son, we see that the reality is that we are really no different. And so we need to go back and we need to rehearse those things because it keeps us from being older brothers. And we're gonna look at him right now. Uh, the older brother, the older brother was the one who was prideful in himself. Uh, the older brother is really the image in the story that Jesus was guiding the Pharisees to look at. So Jesus was talking to a group of Pharisees with these three parables that we see in Luke 15. And, um, and, and this idea of this, this, this pride and this righteousness that came by keeping these laws and by works righteousness, as it'd be called, as it'd be called. That's the older, that's the older brother. And so the younger brother, the prodigal, teaches us that we need to live in, I mean, we need to become real and honest about really who we are and the process that needs to continue in our lives constantly. And without that process, we are gonna find it very hard to forgive people because we're really not rehearsing the forgiveness that we have already experienced. Um, and if we don't do that, then we will become older brothers. We become these prideful ones, and uh, we see other people as making mistakes and doing things wrong, and we're not like that. Um, you know, people get what they deserve. Good decisions make a good life. Bad decisions make a bad life. And so the Pharisees believed in this retributive justice. You know, whatever you do, then you get what you deserve. But grace is all about not getting what you deserve. And so the older brother was sort of steeped in his behavior in terms of how it justified him and separated him from his brother. But let's look at that. And as we look at the older brother, we're gonna see this, that forgiveness is actually just. Forgiveness is, is justice, but we've gotta kind of finish the thought before we'll see that. And so let's look at Luke 15, uh, 28 and following. It says the older brother became angry and he refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him um, and so the father wants relationship with both of them, right? He, he's not interested in his relationship with his older son being severed either. Um, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. And when the son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. And so this is pride speaking, and it blinded him from seeing that he was a prodigal too. He was the good son. He was the obedient one. And yet, look, Dad, you've got uh, my knucklehead brother uh, who is getting all the attention. Surely his younger brother had caused him personally a lot of grief over the years. We can imagine that if he was capable of just leaving and living a life like that, 
he had done some other things along the way that would have impacted his older brother. And maybe the older brother felt a burden to be the good son, to try to relieve the burden from, you know, from their father. Um, I mean, just to, to, to not be a problem since the younger one had been uh, such a problem. And now with his brother back, he's just in no mood to celebrate this stuff. And so the bad son enters the father's feast, but the good son will not go in there. And so you have the lovers of prostitutes, who is the one who is saved here, but the person of, of moral rectitude is lost. And you can almost hear the Pharisees gasp at this. It's like, wait a minute. The way that you're telling the story is the exact opposite of how we have come to understand what it means to have a relationship with God. I mean, this, this idea of justice, retributive justice. But the problem is that God does not work that way. Um, and so are those who forgive expected to live with damage never to be restored? And so these are the following questions then. Well, truly, if, if, if we don't get what we deserve, does that mean that there's damage in our lives that isn't ever restored? Are we allowing evil to prosper because we're not addressing it? Are those who forgive victims, uh, who are, who's, is their pain never addressed? I mean, does, does it, if we forgive someone, does it just kind of go off into the abyss and nothing is ever resolved? And so the older brother thinks that the father's forgiveness is unjust and without Jesus Christ, he's right about that. Christless forgiveness is the absence of justice. Without Christ, forgiveness is anarchy because Christ doesn't just cancel our debt, he pays the debt. So this has already been paid for. And so whatever it is that we access in, in forgiving another person is something that Jesus has already deposited in the account. He takes sin into himself, he crushes it, and he destroys it. He doesn't force us to change our feelings. Instead, he puts a new spirit in us. And if that spirit has control of our heart and our lives, then our feelings are different toward that person. He alone is able to complete the cycle of justice. And so Jesus convicts the guilty, he pays the penalty, and he restores the victims. Jesus does it all. And this is, this is the mindset that we need to have when we think about forgiveness or unforgiveness. It's that Jesus has already, he has, he has invested all of this in us. He's already taken care of it. We're just simply channeling what he has already done. And, and we live in this belovedness, this forgiveness that we have received in him, and it's out of that that forgiveness flows to others. And so true release is possible because we've been released. It isn't up to us to create forgiveness. We simple, simply channel forgiveness. And I don't want to diminish the pain that some of us here experience, different relationships. I mean, it's, it's not to be taken lightly. But we need, to, we need to get to where we understand these things and apply these things properly to our lives so that forgiveness is possible. We don't create it, we channel it. First John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. We forgive how? As the Lord has forgiven us. We're going to watch a video that applies this this morning. It's a video um, called A Race. And in this video, the song, we're covered by his love, we're covered by his blood, we're covered by his righteousness. And Christ not only grants this forgiveness to us, but he empowers us to pour it out to others. And just as there's no limit to his forgiveness, there should be no limit to ours. Let's watch. For those who have hurt others by being judgmental, neglectful, deceptive, unfaithful, prideful, lustful, lustful dishonest, hypocritical, Jesus takes those sins into his body and he crushes it and he cleanses us. 
and for those who have been hurt uh, by others being judgmental, neglectful, unfaithful. Jesus invites you to free them. And so the forgiveness, Jesus is the one who forgives, but through forgiveness, we participate in that forgiveness. And then truly, everything's erased and the restoration of the relationship has come. When we take communion um, and we come to the cross and we reflect again on the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus, we're looking directly at uh, the transaction that has happened where Jesus gave himself so that we could be forgiven. And now as we walk and form our lives in Christ's life, then we go and we forgive others. I'll pray for us and then invite you to come up and take the elements of communion and back to your seat. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are, um, well, we are overwhelmed by your love. And Father, we're covered by your blood. And now, Father, we have a righteousness that's not our own. This is a righteousness that is found in the Lord Jesus. And Father, may we constantly be repositioning ourselves, reseating ourselves, so that we're truly not at the center of things, but the Lord Jesus and his work and the things that he's done in our lives are at the center of our lives and they flow out of our lives. Thank you, Father, for forgiving us. Thank you, Father, for providing a way for us to be forgiven through the Lord Jesus Christ. We worship you this morning and we thank you again. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.